Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the study of antiquity and the Middle Ages. As always, I am your host, Nick Barksdale, and today we are joined by a very special guest who is going to guide us through a fascinating and often overlooked subject, especially when it comes to YouTube, and that is Dr. Contney. Dr. Contney, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're welcome. To start off, would you mind telling the audience a little bit about you, who you are, and what you do? Uh, my name is Bartosz Kontny. I'm working in the University of Warsaw uh, as a university professor. Uh, I am uh, specializing in the problems connected with so-called protohistoric period, which uh, means from 500 before Christ up to 7th century after Christ. Uh, I'm especially interested in the problems concerning the central and northern European areas, barbarians, so-called, the barbaricum, we call it. But also, uh, I am working with uh, the matters uh, connected with the, uh, let's say, influences uh, from or impact of the Roman Empire on the barbarians, and vice versa also. Um, my main focus is um, connected with the weapons, with the weaponry, but I'm also an, uh, a diver and uh, underwater archaeologist, and uh, I have a great pleasure to combine both specialties because we have uh, some findings, uh, some sites, archaeological sites in Poland, in the territory of Poland, where uh, the weapons from historical periods were found in waters, in the lakes. Therefore, it is, uh, it is a sacrificial type of site, I will tell you, I hope, uh, later on about it, but about the moment that's the, the presentation, the basic presentation. Check out the links that are going to be placed in the video description below, and it's going to take you to his academia page, really show you what he does. I'm going to provide some other links as well to really promote him, what he does. Check out his work, give him your full support, and take advantage of the awesome insights that he has to offer about the history that we all love. So when it comes to warfare, in ancient Central Europe and your focus, you already talked to us about the period that you specialize in. And so my biggest question to start off to kind of know who the players are per se is, do we know what tribes or confederations inhabited this area during the time of your focus? Partly yes, partly no. Normally in a case of uh, archeological science, we deal with so-called uh, the term culture, so archaeological culture, it is uh, the whole spectrum of different uh, elements of material culture that survived to, uh, until today. Uh, so uh, in our case, the main, uh, the vast part of today's Poland uh, territory, I mean central Poland and southern Poland, and some adjoining areas uh, too, uh, was uh, embraced by so-called Przeworsk culture. That's a terrible word, I know it. Przeworsk culture. Um, but, uh, but in the other words, it is connected most probably with the uh, tribe of Vandals. So uh, famous Vandals which, uh, which uh, devastated Rome in half, uh, in, in mid fifth uh, century uh, after Christ uh, uh, were this, maybe the same, maybe not the same Vandals, but the Vandals, which uh, migrated from the territory of Poland, the south, later on to the uh, southwestern part of uh, Europe, to Africa, and from Africa they 
invaded uh, Rome with the use of the fleet. So we uh, tried to link both, uh, both uh, uh, names, Trevor's culture and the Vandals. In the other words, uh, the Trevor's culture is, uh, or the Vandals uh, are um, uh, described as a synonym word, Lugi. Uh, Lugi means uh, 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 the federation of tribes or the uh, on what tribe, uh, which was, in, in, let's say, the, the main tribe in the whole federation. The name Lugi the, is connected with the uh, god Lug or Lugus. Uh, it was uh, the Celtic god, the main god of the Celtic, uh, let's say, the uh, whole set of, of uh, Celtic deities. Uh, and uh, it means that probably uh, the Celts had a great uh, share in creation of the Przeworsk culture. So there were not exclusively Germans, but also the Celts, maybe the other um, uh, tribes or the other ethnies also. But at the uh, moment, we are quite sure that there were the Germans, but also the Celts who created the Przeworsk uh, culture. Um, uh, moreover, on the territory of Poland, we have in the northern part of it, the Goths and the Japits. Were, they were also well known from the later times. Uh, they, uh, of course, they were uh, well-known tribes and states of the Ostrogoths, the Visigoths, uh, which uh, survived until the Middle Ages, actually, in the uh, Western Europe, the Visigoths in Spain, and earlier in France, or the Ostrogoths in, uh, in Italy, in the 6th uh, century after uh, Christ. But they began here in the northern part of Poland, moreover, uh, basing on archaeological grounds, we may try to trace uh, the path they uh, they uh, uh, traveled to the southeast, to the Pontic zone, to the north northern uh, uh, Black Sea uh, shore. Uh, so these were these are two groups, let's say the Goths, and we we call them the Vielbark culture. It is much easier to pronounce Vielbark culture. Um, Bielbark is actually the name of the, uh, let's say, fragment. Today it is in the administrative uh, area uh, connected with Malborg. Malborg is the main castle of the Teutonic uh, order, so, so it is there in northern uh, Poland. In northeastern part of Poland, we had so-called Bolt tribes. The Bolts uh, came there probably from the east, uh, they are in a way connected with the Slavs, but, but their languages appeared much earlier than the Slavic uh, languages. And they covered northeastern part of Poland, but also uh, uh, Kaliningrad Oblast, Kaliningrad area, uh, Russia, uh, Lithuania, uh, Latvia, as well part of Belarus. Um, so they, they, were, they lived there and they were completely, maybe not completely, but um, uh, in an important uh, Part of their their characteristic cultural characteristic was completely different from from the one uh, we know in, from the Przeworsk culture of the Vyabark culture. Further to the north, we had the uh, Scandinavians, but the name of these people is uh, puzzling for, for us. It is probably because of the fact that the uh, ancient writers, Roman uh, Roman historians, were not very interested in the. Uh, area so far, so distant from the uh, Roman Empire. Uh, therefore, we know uh, such names like, like Suiones, for example, but, but we are not quite sure whether they should be uh, situated uh, precisely. Uh, and to the south, uh, I mean, in today, 
today's uh, Czech and Slovakia, uh, Czech Republic and Slovakia, we have we had uh, Markomans and Quads, two Germanic uh, tribes further on to the southeast. There were Sarmatians and Dacians to the south in today's Romania, and so on and so on. But generally, and to the to the uh, west, of course, there were in the territory of Germany. There were Germans, but they have nothing to do with the Ger today today's Germans, of course. So this is, let's say, the the map, the ethnic map uh, from these times. When it comes to these different cultures and these different tribes, would you say that the warfare style tended to vary between each group? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, we may be quite sure that for the Romans, the Germans fought in the very similar way, but uh, there were two different groups uh, differing from the Germans very much. There were the Dacians, who used falces and completely different type of, uh, of uh, style of fighting, and the Sarmatians who uh, fought on horseback. Uh, they did not use shields; that used uh, they used uh, long spears. They had armor, scale armors, and helmets, and it was completely different. Heavy cavalry they used, and uh, it was impressive for for uh, uh, um, the Romans, but surely completely different from the general image of the Germans. However, we may deduce, among the others from the written sources, there is a very important book written by Tacitus, Publius Cornelius Tacitus in the late first century after Christ. He was one of the most important Roman historians. And he wrote the small, let's say, description of the Germans, half ethnological, let's say, called Germania or the uh, Originet Situ Germanorum, in which he uh, told us among the words, among the in, in between the lines, let's say, that they were using different, I mean, the Germans were using different styles of uh, fighting uh, and the certain tribes and different uh, military equipment. Uh, this is because of the fact that uh, he told us that they had special uh, fortune telling. Uh, before, uh, right before the battle, uh, began, they tried to uh, catch uh, the warrior from the opposite side and to arrange the duel. And it is said that everyone, every uh, one of from these uh, dueling uh, uh, sides, used their own national weapons, which means that they were different in a way. And uh, from this, they tried to deduce the results of the, uh, the real battle, let's say. And archaeological, uh, basic on archaeological grounds, we may confirm that uh, supposition because, uh, for example, in the Pshavar's culture, we may try to observe uh, you know, the changes in and development in uh, the uh, weapon way. This is because of the fact that in that culture, uh, local people, the Vandals or the Lugi, uh, put uh, the weapons into the graves. And these graves are dated very precisely, uh, even so precise, as precisely as one generation. So uh, uh, with the, it is so exact that uh, we may say that it is dated to not more, the, 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 let's say, um, the borders are not bigger than 20, 30 years than one generation. So we may, let's say, in a dynamic way, uh, described on, or, uh, or reconstruct the development of uh, weapons, but also fighting techniques. 
we may and we may try to compare it with the other uh, cultural units um, in these times. Uh, this is not so easy in every case because, for example, uh, the Goths did not place uh, uh, the weapons into the graves of their uh, warriors. Uh, we don't know why they were uh, very hostile. They were martial, but uh, but uh, basing only exclusively on the archaeological grounds, one cannot say that. That's a strange uh, story. Uh, but uh, but anyway, we may at least try to compare it with the other uh, cultural units, and so it occurs that there were differences. For example, um, uh, there were some uh, um, some uh, units, cultural units, some tribes which used uh, axes. They were normally very rare among the uh, Germans, but in my opinion, the Goths used them for sure. Uh, in the other, uh, another another tribe were, which used uh, axes uh, very frequently uh, were the Bolts. Uh, another premise to reconstruct uh, the differences and generally uh, the tactics uh, is connected with uh, Scandinavia. Here they probably used, uh, especially from the third century after Christ, uh, very frequently the bows and arrows, but not for hunting. Uh, because it was quite obvious, um, but in that case they were using for probably them probably for for fighting. So it uh, suggests that they had to uh, use the battle array. So there were tactics to, to use uh, the bow and arrows arrows effectively. You have to think uh, before and to uh, settle uh, these uh, people on the wings, for example, to use them in a certain uh, part of the battle. So uh, they were fighting, I think, uh, as quasi-armies or real armies in these times, but exclusively in Scandinavia, in the territory of Poland, probably not. Uh, and they, they also did not use um, uh, uh, bows and arrows for uh, military purposes. So different, there are surely differences. Some of them we may trace uh, quite easily. Some of them are just uh, the imagination of scholars. Uh, however, it is possible to, to trace at least some important uh, change, uh, differences. And so, before we get into um, weapons being buried in water and so on and so forth, I want to touch on this, and that is, was there a religious connection to warfare among these ancient peoples? Mm -hmm. Uh, surely uh, there is. Uh, maybe first of all, it was the religious uh, uh, connection or uh, intention uh, connected with with the weapons themselves, not exclusively with the war warfare, but the weapons themselves. Uh, we know, for example, that the um, the Sarmatians treated their swords as half deities. They they gave them names, but good names, of course. They treated them as, uh, as uh, I don't know, living creatures. Uh, or, uh, and that idea was probably um, taken from the Sarmatians to the, uh, uh, to the medieval times, and especially to the, uh, it is connected with the legends of King Arthur, where, where it is, there, there are some Sarmatian traces in that, uh, that area, also connected with the weaponry, but that's not the topic of today's uh, meeting, uh, but, uh, but uh, another uh, element I told you about was connected with this fortune-telling and the uh, duel, which, which was arranged uh, between 
two, uh, the representatives of two nations or two uh, um, uh, two tribes. Uh, we know also that they uh, destroyed weapons before putting them into the grave or throwing them uh, as an offering to the waters. Uh, it was probably because they wanted to, to make these weapons dead, really dead, uh, to free their souls. So it seems that they treated uh, the weapons as living creatures uh, once again. Uh, and maybe they wanted to, to make them useful in the uh, um, uh, world. Um, so in the afterworld, yeah, after after the um, the, the burial. Um, so we have uh, uh, a lot of uh, um, archaeological um, sites. Uh, I mean, cemeteries in which we find uh, swords twisted, broken, um, uh, destroyed in very different, smashed sometimes. Not only the sword, the swords. However, the swords were most uh, most. Uh, uh, frequently uh, destroyed, but also uh, spears, uh, spearheads, and and uh, shields. So um, it was for sure in, uh, done in that uh, in that uh, way. Uh, another element which is connected with uh, sacrificial um, attitude to the weapons is connected with the with the uh, offerings, with the sacrifices. So we know for sure that um, the Germans, but the Celts also. Uh, dedicated the weapons to the gods of war. Um, some say that uh, it was a habit taken over from the cells, but uh, it seems that uh, but that uh, uh, it appeared among the Germans independently because the earliest offerings we know from the Germanic world, uh, from Scandinavia, is dated to the fourth century before Christ. So parallelly to the to the Celtic ones, uh, the western part of. Uh, of uh, Europe. Uh, now we know there were studies. Uh, the, 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 the topic was uh, studied for years, actually, from the mid 19th century. Uh, the great majority of such sites is known from the territory of uh, Scandinavia, actually southern Scandinavia. Uh, if you remind the idea of dead marshes in uh, John Ronald Will Tolkien, um, uh, a lot of the rings. Uh, uh, from two towers, yeah, and from from the second uh, volume, uh, this is taken uh, from the Scandinavian uh, sides. Of course, it was changed a little by Tolkien because he combined dead bodies uh, together with weapons and the, the 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 battlefield which was situated there. Uh, but actually, uh, but he knew quite well these uh, sites uh, from Scandinavia, from Nudam, Tosberg, from Vivose, from uh, Kragehul. Uh, there were hundreds or thousands of weapons. A uh, great majority of them were destroyed, ritually destroyed, before placing them uh, into the waters. And uh, later on, uh, these waters, owing to the process of eutrophication, changed or evolved into, from the lakes into the marshes or bogs. And they were excavated while uh, uh, originally uh, by chance by pit cutters. Uh, and it occurred that there are vast quantities of, of uh, weapons uh, in these uh, marshes. So, so the archaeologists uh, took interest in it, and, and uh, the, the first very important person who started uh, such diggings was Konrad Engelhardt from uh, Scandinavia, from, from Denmark, uh, who began such excavations. So after uh, his uh, works uh, and 
uh, hundreds of further scholars, we know that these weapons were not local. There were weapons won on the invading armies, invading enemies, and uh, they were later on destroyed and offered to the gods as a primary gift, a primary spoils of war. Uh, we do not know what were the, what were the real intentions after uh, uh, that act, these acts, but but uh, surely it was uh, religious um, in its roots. Uh, uh, the funny thing is that for years it was uh, thought that there were exclusively weapons uh, uh, put into the uh, lakes. Now we know that not exclusively. Uh, uh, several years ago, uh, it was found in, in Denmark, in Jutland Peninsula, uh, uh, one site in which there were almost exclusively bodies, uh, broken bones collected from the battlefields and thrown into the water. Uh, some of the anim from the, from these uh, these uh, uh, bodies, some 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 warriors were executed at the place uh, while uh, um, uh, let's say leading them into the into the water, and they were decapitated or they they their heads were smashed with this with the uh, uh, um, weapons like uh, resembling let's say baseball bats, something like that. Um, and now we know another uh, change, let's say, significant, significant change in our knowledge is connected with the fact that now we know such sites also from the territory of southern Baltic Sea, from the territory of Poland. And uh, for me, it is a really um, thrilling uh, uh, fact that I had an opportunity to combine underwater archaeology and Finding, looking for these weapons because the sites from the territory of Poland, fortunately, did not dry out. So they are not marshes, not all of them. Some of them are still uh, the lakes. So we are diving, looking for the uh, offerings from the first, second century after Christ. Brilliant stuff from me, actually. This is like, uh, I don't know, terracotta army of Germanic uh, warriors um, for, for a person like me. It's interesting both in underwater archaeology and, and the weapons as well. And so when we talk about Central Europe and a large area that we're discussing and the variety of cultures and peoples that are in it, we know their warfare styles were different, different approaches, different viewpoints. My next question is, is how often were these groups at war with each other? And do we even know? It's hard to... to uh, mm, say precisely because uh, normally we try to draw uh, such information uh, from the written sources. But in that uh, case, uh, uh, as I said, uh, uh, Roman historians were not so interested in these uh, lands so distant from the areas. From time to time, they uh, they were, but not so frequently. So that, so we know that, uh, for example, there were great uh, uh, clashes. Between between uh, uh, certain uh, uh, certain uh, tribes in the mid first century after uh, after Christ, uh, it was the king of uh, of Quadi, uh, um, Vanius, who was attacked by the other Germanic groups among the others, Lugi, so the Vandals, uh, but also Semnoni from Eastern uh, Germany. Uh, so that's that's a fact. Um, further on, we have the information uh, about uh, so-called Marcomannic Wars. If you remind the first scenes from the movie The Gladiator, they are connected with Marcomannic Wars, 
of course, uh, from historical point of view, this, uh, this is the absurd uh, vision of antiquity. However, I have to say, admit that, that it is very impressive. And so I like those uh, first scenes very much, uh, knowing that they are absurd, but, but as I said, they are, they are impressive. Uh, so uh, so uh, these uh, days were also connected with the activity of days Poland because we know for sure that uh, at least certain tribes uh, from the territory of Poland, from connected with the Vandals, participated in these um, uh, fights, uh, in, uh, especially in Dacia, but not exclusively. They were uh, um, uh, uh, the brothers in arms with uh, the Sarmatians also participating in these uh, um, uh, fighting. So, so uh, that's for sure that uh, in the second half of the, uh, of the second century after Christ, they were participating in huge uh, military affairs. Uh, later on, uh, the uh, limes, so the, the border of the of the uh, Roman Empire, weakened a lot, and it was because of the frequent attacks of the uh, Germans, Sarmatians, uh, and the other uh, tribes attacking uh, uh, these areas, especially on the west, on the River Rhine, but also on the lower. Danube River. So, among the others, there were the Goths who invited invaded these areas. Uh, so, so for sure, they were also uh, participating in these uh, military events. Uh, but uh, I have to say, from the other uh, uh, point of view, that uh, for example, um, those uh, uh, bog sites or sacrifice sacrificial offerings from Scandinavia are very frequent. We may date them very precisely. We may even reconstruct the let's say real uh, purposes of the attacking armies. Uh, I think, for example, for example, that it was that they aimed to control uh, the uh, trading routes leading to the Baltic Sea because it was a great influx of Roman um, uh, imports, imported goods like glass vessels, metal vessels, silver ones, bronze ones. There was also the swords which were imported from the, um, from the Roman Empire to the Baltic Sea area especially to the uh, Isle of uh, Zealand. Uh, so uh, it was uh, a very tantalizing uh, uh, aim to control uh, the straits leading to the, to the Baltic Sea. Therefore, um, generally, these, uh, this, these weapons uh, offerings are concentrated, are situated in these areas where the battles were, um, uh, were located. Uh, and uh, so we may reconstruct the aims, we may reconstruct uh, the uh, structure, the hierarchy among the armies, basing on differentiation of the weapons we, uh, we find in uh, these uh, uh, bog signs. We may reconstruct the way they, uh, they uh, traveled there because also the uh, ships, or actually the boats, quite huge, were found uh, there, the boats which were used by the invading armies. And uh, moreover, we may even uh, uh, trace uh, the names of the invaders because they wrote them in the runic script on the on the military equipment. So we know such names like like Pagnio, Mitio, Laguteva. They are real names of the, the military leaders, let's say. Uh, but as refers to the written sources, they are completely mute in that uh, field. So it shows us that we have to compare or combine both sources, archaeological ones and uh, military uh, and uh, written sources. 
too. As refers to the military uh, zone, we may also think about uh, the battlefields. However, they are very, very uh, rare and uh, hard to trace because normally we deal with the battlefield uh, after the battle is won, every single worthless, worth, worth, uh, worthy element is taken uh, by the uh, winners. So it's a spoil of war and it is not left on the battlefield. And the only elements which are left are small military, small pieces, uh, worthless and maybe bones um, of, of uh, defeated enemies or their animals. Uh, so, uh, of, of course, bolts or arrowheads may be found uh, there, but there are such such sites are quite quite uh, rare. Actually, I may say that we may mention exclusively two uh, such battlefields uh, from the whole what uh, Roman uh, period we call Roman period because it's connected with uh, Roman imperial period. Let's say. Uh, this was the great influence from the Roman Empire to the north of the Barbarian, Barbarian, so we, we call it Roman period. And dated from the turn of the eras up to uh, 375 after Christ, when the Huns invaded uh, uh, Europe and changed the situation uh, definitely, and so the migration period began. Uh, but uh, from the Roman period, we have, we, we, we made pinpoint only two such battlefields. One is in Calcrisa. It is connected with the Battle of in Tauteburgian uh, Forest from 9 AD. The great defeats of uh, Varus army, three legions were annihilated actually by the Germans. Very well known situation. And after years of studies uh, from 80s, actually late 80s, we know that it was most probably the site in Calcrisa nearby Osnabrück in Western Germany where the battle was situated. Um, and there are not very numerous um, uh, uh, worthy uh, precious elements found there. Just small military, as I said, uh, uh, it's majority. Uh, but another was found quite lately. It is in Harzhorn in central Germany. Uh, and it was completely unexpected because also in that case, uh, written sources are rather mute. Uh, but uh, later on it occurred that there are some small mentions, not very important, connected with the uh, invasion or the military action by uh, Emperor uh, Maximus uh, Trax in 235, uh, and uh, a few events connected with uh, these uh, attacks are proved from the, in the, in the, uh, by the findings from the uh, uh, woods uh, uh, nearby Hartshorn. The pass, uh, mountainous pass, in which there were a lot of findings, mostly connected with uh, military uh, militaria of Roman origin, like the bolts, uh, for example, uh, the wagon elements, uh, and so on, the arrows, of course. But from the other side, there were also a few um, or several of the Germanic origin. So it seems like like uh, withdrawing Romans. Uh, were harassed by uh, uh, light armored uh, Germans there on these passes. So this is, but but it's only the second uh, uh, place we may reconstruct or connect uh, with the real uh, um, events and try to treat it as a battle. And so now my next question is: We've covered whether or not there's a written history 
we've covered the oral history and the complications it creates in trying to piece together the past. My next question is, do we know if these cultures and tribes had rules of conduct involving armed conflict? Actually, we almost uh, do nothing. We, we almost know nothing concerning it. Because uh, the only thing, we, they, they have, of course, some, some such habits or rituals, uh, which, were, which may be constructed partly and partly they are described by the uh, written sources. As refers to the battle itself, uh, they were completely uh, different. Uh, 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 as refers to the um, to the different areas, let's say. Uh, as I said, in Scandinavia, they probably had the real armies, uh, uh, but in uh, the central uh, uh, European uh, zone, probably not. They were fighting very effectively, very, uh, very, um, let's say, uh, vigorously. Uh, but uh, but without uh, battle order, let's say after the first attack, if they win, they were the winners. If they uh, lose, they just fled, uh, and uh, it was just their reality, let's say. So um, that's actually all we may try to deduce from the both archaeological and uh, uh, written sources. There were differences. I think that uh, especially in the third century, there appeared some. Um, let's say centralized uh, order thinking in uh, northern European areas, but but uh, it was not.